This is a Sandy Boy Productions podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to I'll Have Another Podcast with Lindsay Hine. I'm your host, Lindsay. Thank you so much for being here today. Today's episode of the podcast is brought to you by Aftershocks. I am so excited to partner with Aftershocks, and they are bringing you all the best headphones out there. They have an open ear concept so you can hear what's going on around you, but still thoroughly enjoy your music at a really good quality or your podcast, whatever you are choosing to listen to. They have bone conduction technology. I'm telling you this audio quality is better than you would ever think it could be. And you all can get $50 off endurance bundles when you use the code ANOTHER at checkout. Get rid of the tangled wires, get rid of earbuds that fall out, and you can still hear what's going on around you. Head over to another.aftershocks.com to get $50 off an endurance bundle. All right, today you're listening to episode 206, and I'm talking with Ben Bruce. Ben is a professional runner and coach with Hoka Aneane Naz Elite, and he's a husband and father of two boys. He's married to pro runner Steph Bruce, who was one of several women he had the opportunity to pace at the Chicago Marathon this year. I was so excited to hear all about Ben's pacing duties at the Chicago Marathon, and I think you're really going to enjoy diving into that. Before we talk about the pacing, though, we get into his history and career with running. Ben has qualified and competed in 17 straight USATF Outdoor Track and Field Championships. Whoa. He has a half marathon PR of 62-28, so he's out there competing with the best of them and also serving as a coach and pacer for the NAS Elite team. I hope you really enjoy this conversation with Ben. Before we get started talking with Ben... I want to thank Lily Trotters for supporting this podcast episode. You guys know this is my favorite compression sock. They are cute. They are comfortable. They are functional. And they give back. In the month of October, they donated proceeds from their pink campaign campaign to the Donna Foundation, which is a foundation that I very strongly believe in and have spent a lot of time with the people at the Donna Foundation. They fund research for breast cancer and also help those living with the disease. Lily Trotters is doing some really great things and it's so cool to see them collaborate with a nonprofit that I really believe in. You all can save 20% off your order at Lily Trotters when you go to lilytrotters.com and use the code ANOTHER at checkout. They're also a supporter of the live podcast coming up next weekend with Dina Castor. So great things with Lily Trotters. They're a great women-owned company. So go grab a pair for your next race coming up. Again, that's lilytrotters.com and use the code ANOTHER at checkout. Today on the podcast, I am excited to have Ben Bruce on the show. Welcome to I'll Have Another Ben. Well, thanks for having me. You are the second Bruce on the podcast. I had Steph on must have been last summer after Peachtree, maybe? Some big race, some really important race that she did really well at. Well, that's been a lot the last two years. So could have been after a lot. It could have been pretty much any month of the year. That's so true. And that's so sweet to hear you say that about your wife. I have so many, I have so many husband wife questions for you. Well, that's my specialty. <laughs> How are you feeling? How is the 
Bruce, how's feeling? Uh, what are we about two weeks post Chicago now? Uh, yeah, things are good. It's uh, it's always interesting because when I shouldn't say always, but when Steph raced uh, the marathon, obviously all out, <clears throat> and I was not running easy, but still <laughs> quite a uh, an odd effort. So the difference of that is the next few days she's still extremely sore. Um, where. I was kind of like, like on Tuesday, I went for a run after the race and Steph's like, I can't believe you're going on a run. But I think that was just the difference of her going all the way to the well oh, as hard as you can go. Um, but I think by day four, Steph was up and about and trying to get some stuff around the house done. She uh, tends to go into this, uh, you know, when you're in the marathon training, she's tired from the training. And so a lot of stuff around the house for both of us doesn't get done just as far as clutter and different things. So as soon as she's on her her break from the marathon, it's like time to clean the pantry, time to clean the closet, time to like organize all the stuff that's just become uh, kind of cluttered and a mess. So on that front, things are uh, things are going well for us. So I think starting to get back to wanting to go on some runs. So that's good that she's feeling that way. And uh, I got back to a normal week of training, just just not any hard workouts, just easy stuff. Um, and so, yeah, kind of getting back to that myself. Yeah, I totally understand those feelings, like the declutter and stuff, letting that fall to the wayside. I have a couple big events coming up in the next couple of weeks, and I'm like, can I just leave this laundry here for two and a half weeks? Is that too long? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, at what point is it like, man, do I need to like put this back in the dryer, maybe with a fabric softener, and see if it can just freshen it up a little bit? <laughs> yeah, and I, I know that I'll actually feel better if I just like take 20 minutes to at least do something with it, but... Um, yeah, as, as events get near, near, or I'm coming off something big, I'm like, how many days can I let this really go? Um, yeah. So Ben, I'd love to, before we get into talking about Chicago and pacing, which I know is something that a lot of my listeners are super interested to hear about as am I, um, I'd love to just kind of bring everybody up to speed a little bit on how Ben Bruce at, are you 36? 37. 37. Okay. How at 37, you've kind of made your way to this point in your career. So most listeners probably know that you run with the NAS Elite group and with Hoka Ane Ane, and you're kind of doing this uh, pacing, coaching, but still working out pretty hard thing. But can you share a little bit about growing up and how you kind of fell in love with running? Yeah, it's it's interesting to be 37 now and wearing so many hats. Like I forget, I was talking to someone the other day, and they just said you should write a book about just like all the roles you play at this point in your life. And um, and then I think back to when I was younger, and it was it, it's the classic thing like parents tell you when you're little that you'd love to have these sort of stressors or these things in your life. If like getting your your English paper in is the worst thing that you're, you're worrying about <laughs> is, mm-hmm. um, it's pretty nice. So, uh, yeah, when I was in high school, I loved growing up. I loved playing every sport that I could and I couldn't let go of sports. So even in high school I played, uh, I'd run cross country in the fall. I'd play soccer in the winter and then in the spring I'd actually golf. So I didn't run track in high school because I'm living in San Diego and I'm thinking if I can make the golf team, I'm going to go basically play golf courses that people come to pay money to vacation at. And I'm going to go play them for free. And that's where our matches are going to be. And we're going to be playing um, a lot of great golfers in San Diego. And so I did that. And then 
because of that, I didn't really have any track times to get recruited into college. So I went to a junior college uh, for two years, San Diego Mesa. And my coach there, Manny Batista, really just set the groundwork for everyone there to, you know, not just learn how to run yourself, but learn, you know, the the physiology behind running. He wanted, he knew that a lot of people that he coached at a, a freshman, sophomore level at a junior college um, that loved running might not make it on a professional side of things, but they could potentially go into coaching or or teaching, you know, science and, and stuff like that. Uh, so I learned a lot about the sport from him and then transferred to Cal Poly San Luis Obispo and uh, just kept chipping away. No, no huge jumps, but every year I just felt if I could run a PR, no matter how small, I was going in the right, right direction. And so I just kind of lived by that, that um, slowly chipping away, no one workout was going to make or break me. But if I could stay healthy and just keep keep going that I would just eventually uh, keep getting to a higher and higher level. And lucky enough, when I graduated Cal Poly, I was a two-time All-American in the steeplechase and was able to sign a professional shoe contract. And um, the ebbs and flows of years and some years without a sponsorship, some years with sponsorships. I moved to Eugene at one point, ran with the Oregon Track Club for a little while with Mark Rowland, um, and then eventually found my way to Flagstaff when my wife moved here and we got married in 2012, and uh, I mean, the running has always been there, but my life around running has changed from being a 25-year-old that could sit on the couch all day and not do a lot, which I look back and man, crazy, <laughs> um, to now being 37 and two kids and a wife that's running incredible right now, and I'm sort of just enjoying, I guess, all the parts of it, because I kind of feel like I've come through the the world of running from so many different angles now from the young kid out of college to uh now kind of seeing the sport from the other side where i almost get asked a lot uh at races or you know even at a track meet a couple years ago someone thought i was a coach and i was like no i'm actually running the 10k Uh, (laughs) and so it's kind of one of those things that i've enjoyed the process along the way and as i talk about it it's like all these memories pop in my head but that could be uh, several hours of a conversation (laughs) I'm the old man running the 10K. I'm not a coach. <laughs> no, I, I love hearing you guys talk about your kids, too. I have kids myself, and it's interesting thinking back to those early days, even in my own marathoning, like when I would run marathons before I had kids, and I could just finish a race and go lay on the couch and do all those things. And it's so much of a different kind of active recovery when you have no choice but to chase your little children around after your races. Yeah, even after Chicago last week, because um, we brought the boys out, and Steph's totally exhausted, and she's in drug testing, and the boys are just in there, and at a certain point, I'm like, I just got to I gotta leave, because I usually accompany Steph to drug testing, just in case, um, you know, she needs help reminding, reminding, uh, reminding her, like, protocol and different things like that, but I was like, you know what, let's cut our losses, you can do this by yourself, I'm going <laughs> to the boys, uh, and so, you know, a couple hours after the race, I'm at the hotel swimming pool, <laughs> yeah, with, with the boys. boys. And I'm just like, I guess the pool's kind of nice to be in, but I keep being like, hey, why don't we go back to the hot tub for a little bit? And uh-huh. uh, so, you know, I, I obviously run a pretty hard long run, so I wasn't fresh as a daisy, but eventually we, we all took a family nap. So I understand that it's it's a different recovery process now <laughs> than it used to be. Yeah, for sure. What When you were in college, what was the uh, steeplechase straw? When did your coach and you decide that you were going to be a steeplechaser? 
So my freshman year of college, I'm trying to talk my coach into running the steeplechase. And this, my coach is saying, you never even ran track at all in high school. And now you want to go right into the steeplechase? And I said, yeah, I, I felt like playing soccer as a kid growing up. And I looked at it as like, yeah, jumping over a barrier. It's just like running at a soccer ball and whatever leg comes up, you just jump over it and keep it simple. And uh, so I, he said, you can give it a try. And my first one, um, I think I ran 941 as a freshman. And I just loved it. I mean, it was like, I remember it was a windy, cold-ish, I mean, it's Southern California, but it was windy and raining, actually, which was kind of an interesting day to run my first steeple living in Southern California. But I loved it, and um, and from there, was just hooked, and that was became what I wanted to do. Um, that was my focus. I still liked running cross-country and other races, and I loved running track in general, but the, the steeplechase was where I just, that's what I wanted to to focus on. What do you think when you look back to your college career, what's one of the most defining moments in your uh, running part of your career in college? Um, when I think of college, I always think of two kind of segments because I went to two colleges, I went to junior college and, and, and then to Cal Poly. And in junior college, the defining day, I think, was my sophomore year. Um our coach got me into like the day section of the steeplechase at Stanford. And, um, I went out there and broke nine minutes, which was not something kids in junior college did very often. And, um, <clears throat> to me, nine minutes was a time that like I saw people running on division one colleges, even at like big schools, like breaking nine minutes was still a big barrier. Um, so that was kind of like, um, like a yes moment. Cause I knew that I was going to be able to get into a college, a four-year college, like someone was going to want me to transfer there after running under nine minutes. And then um, a couple years later, I was at Cal Poly, my senior year. So three years later, same track. Um, and I remember running the school record for Cal Poly uh, in the 5K, 1340. And I just remember going in the, like the corner of the uh, athlete kind of area and just calling my mom and being like, mom, I broke the school record. Mm. And she's like, what? And she was like mad because she didn't drive up to watch. And Aww. I'm like, mom, every race, but um, yeah, those two are definitely the, some special days for me and that track's always been pretty good to me. So I love racing at Stanford. Who was the, um, first professional sponsor that you signed with? Um, right out of college, I, um, my college coach, Mark Conover had worked with a guy, Bob Wood, who has, um, been around the agent world for a long time. And he put me in contact with him and he got me a contract with ASICS right out of college. That was in 2005. Um, and then, yeah, do you want me to give the whole sponsorship? <laughs> oh, you so, can, you can, if you want, I'm sure that people would be interested in that. Yeah. So I ran with ASICS for two years and I was young and I thought I was doing a great job and I was the two years I ran for them. I think I was sixth and 10th at the U S champs in the steeple chase. And I thought, yeah, I'm doing well, you know, and then they cut my sponsor because, um, you know, just it wasn't like I was doing poorly, but a lot of times these, these sponsorships are, are done because they want to see you making the world team. And, um, that was kind of like a harsh reality. So I went unsponsored for a year or so. And then, um, when Steph was living in Eugene, I moved up there and it was kind of like beg the coach at Oregon track club, like, just give me a chance. Um, and he was, he's British and British can be a little bit harsh and him and him saying to me, Hey mate, you're 26 years old. You run 8:32 in the steeple chase. If you were in England, I'd tell you to just go get a job. But you know the the American dream of keep going. So he he gave me a chance for the team, and I I ran with Oregon Track Club for a few years, and then um, 
when I moved to Flagstaff in 2011 and ran with Adidas for a few years. And then um, when that ended in our team, the Northern Arizona Elite, was getting started, um, Hoka Onone came on, and that's who I've been with ever since and who I plan to be with, um, you know, hopefully the rest of my career, although I'm already moving into the coaching standpoint. But that's the gauntlet of it all. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, this is such an interesting topic, the sponsorship thing, because, you know, I talk to a lot of pros on the podcast, both sponsored and unsponsored. And these days, I wonder how much of that social media thing plays into it. Because you're, I talked to, I'm going to use Roberta Groner as an example. She's 220, 229 marathoner now. You know, I'm, I'm sure you know who Roberta is. She's the mom of yep. three. And she's unsponsored currently. Um, and I just wonder, someone like that, or a Becky Wade, I think, is another unsponsored super fast marathoner right now. Like, if someone like that had this massive social media following, would a brand counter those kind of world championship type stuff and say, yeah, but look at this 100,000 followers they have on social and pick them up? And and these people aside, I'm just using their names as an example because of their, their unsponsored. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Yeah, it's a it's a fine line. I think that um, if you're looking at maybe like non-shoe company sponsorships, I think the social media is really big because <clears throat> if they feel you can help sell their brand, um, that's going to help. But um, there's so many things that go into the shoe companies and I've seen it all. I've seen like – and when I was young, I'd kind of get bitter about it sometimes because I would see someone on like a big sponsorship and I'm like, gosh, how did they get such a con- – like a nice contract? But – a lot of it's timing. Like you could have graduated at the right time with one big performance and X company had a big budget to spend that year. And so they got you. Um, and I think the other side of it is like, as you age, unfortunately companies are like, yeah, they're running well, but like how much Mm -hmm. longer are they going to run for? So, you know, someone like Roberta, if she was, you know, her story is great because she has kids and she's doing all this stuff like and she's making this big surge in her running career as she's into her early 40s. But had she done this in her mid 20s, the reality is she probably would have had a better chance to get a contract and that whether that's right or wrong. Um, but I think from the social media standpoint, if like I would say if like younger up and comers are focused 100 percent on social media. I don't think that's the right focus. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think sharing and, and being accessible and being out there for people to be able to connect with you is important. But if you're just looking for likes and stuff like that, um, I don't think that's going to be the end all be all with companies. They still want performance. And um, I think the likes is kind of everyone gets addicted to that stuff. And if you if you think about it and I've, I'm looking at like um, an older person and I say older, but like an older runner versus a younger runner, their like likes versus their following is always a higher number. Cause when you think about a 20 something year old looking through Instagram, if you ever watch them, it's like they just scrolling through and they're just liking every single photo mm-hmm. as fast as they can. They're not really reading the content sometimes. And then if you take, for example, like if I watch my mom look through Instagram, she's like reading every single thing. Oh wow. This is, you know, and she's not even clicking likes sometimes cause she probably doesn't know she's supposed to like it. So I think, <laughs> Sometimes it's like, where's your audience? And I always look at above the likes is like, what are the what are the interactions going on? And I think if a company sees that someone is interacting and there's a lot of like play on their posts versus just 
a number of likes, that's, I think, important to a company because they know, hey, these people that are following this person, they want and they're really reading the stuff. They're not just like, okay, cool, you, you're at the beach, that looks great. You know, it's like, oh, what are you, you know, what are you putting out? What are you doing out to help the sport or help the brand that you're representing? Yeah, I think you guys do a really good job with that. I, I mean, I think following Steph and the video series you guys did leading up, I think just like you're saying, there's this like healthy balance. What is the balance? I want to share my life. I want to share the hard work. I want to share the good. I want to share the bad. But I also have like a lot of freaking hard work to do in, you know, on the on the other side of it. So um, I, I totally agree with what you're saying. I just I feel like we're seeing this shift. And, you know, I think of someone like a Colleen Quigley on Instagram when I think of a professional athlete who's just like, budding in this like entrepreneur social media type space, but also working really hard at their physical career as an athlete. Like she signed with a company because of her, what she's doing on the track. Yeah. Yeah. It is a fine balance. And I think that to your point, you have to, there's a, there, there's a, there's a focus on the performance needs to be there. And the, the, you know, sometimes there's, there's ebb and flow, like some weeks you have more stuff to share, you feel like sharing more things. But I think the the biggest thing that I appreciate or like when people share, like you said, the good and the bad, because it doesn't really put a lot out there if you only share the good stuff or you disappear for four months and then like two days before a race, I'm running this race because then you haven't really given the fans or like the people that are, that are starving for this info on training and all this stuff you haven't really given them something to grasp onto and I think that's one thing I've learned from my own wife is that she's kind of kept things very real and honest and so regardless of if her race goes well or poorly her fans are still going to be there to support her and um, I think that's kind of a mission statement for our whole training group is to share the journey along the way because you want you want people to we've learned that like the fans will get on board if you share the good and the bad. Cause then they, they just want to, they just want to support you either way. Like, you know, win, loser or fail. Yeah. Okay. So let's get into Chicago. So first though, I'd like to know you're still, I know you've recently raced. How do you keep up with like racing, but also pacing and coaching? Where, where does Ben Bruce stand with, what he foresees in the next year with his career. Well, yeah, it's, uh, (laughs) I think because I've had a long career without a lot of injuries, my training takes on a little more simple, uh, like schedule from like week to week. So in general, I'll pace someone from the girls team, uh, once a week and that'll kind of be like a medium type hard day for me. A lot of times it's like the women's longer workout. So I'll, I'll get in a, a long workout, 18, 20 miles worth of work. It just might not be super intense, but it's still good. And then, um, maybe one other day a week when there's not a lot of, not a lot of other workouts going on for the team, I can sneak away and do my own shorter kind of more like my pace type of workout. And then <laughs> the other days are just filled with, coaching duties, um, or, you know, just a prefle of things. And, um, and so I think with all of that, it's kind of a nice balance for me because I, I've luckily been able to experience the sport and at such a high level that I deep down know that especially in shorter stuff, I may not ever run a PR and 
events that are on the, you know, like a mile or a 5k on the track, stuff like that. But, um, there's still other things I could do that are just experiences and they, you can still have, um, goals. And I think as you get older, if you can just hang on to times, that's kind of just as good as PRing. Um, so I guess over the next year, if I could find my way back onto the starting line of the Olympic trials and the track, um, in Eugene, which will take a pretty fast one more fast 10 K, um, that would be quite an accomplishment because, uh, it would be my fifth track trials in a row. Um, I ran 2000, 2000, or I mean, 2004, eight, 12 and 16. Um, so that would be a big goal, but, um, I just kind of go week by week and yeah, it's, uh, if something comes up, I'll, I'll go race it. <laughs> and is it 16 straight years at the U S outdoor championships? This year was 17. So okay. if I can make it next year, there'd be 18, but it's getting harder with each <laughs> year. So yeah. First, first sights set on the track trials, which comes first? Well, the, yeah, I mean the, the marathon trials is, is there, but like to me, the track trials, the reason I'm proud of that streak is in, in the thing about the marathon, like this year coming up in Atlanta, there's, I think that I read something, there's about 200 men and 300 plus women already qualified. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, you know, the qualifying times are, they're still tough, but when you think about the track, it's so much more cutthroat. It's 24 people in the 10 K and when I ran the steep all those years, there's 24 people. So you had to be like the top 24 in the country for that year to get onto that start line. Um, so that would be, I think a bigger goal, but, um, yeah, this fall I may try to run a half or a full to get into the marathon trials, but it's not um I'm not going to like go chase times and chase times trying to do it. If it happens, it happens, but I'm not going to um be too down on myself if I don't run the marathon trials. I I think the track would be the focus. This fall, you might run a marathon or have to sneak into the marathon trials. That's like yeah. soon. <laughs> yeah. Well, fall, winter, I don't know. I yeah, I'll be uh I'll be figuring that all out. I kind of took a week after Chicago to let things just so, yeah, be yeah. blah, and then now I'll kind of plan stuff. CIM? Uh, <laughs> I, last, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. There's some options. Like, I, I got to really make – honestly, I'm not trying to, like, side-skirt the question. No, I, I know. haven't um, figured if I want to do a full, um, which the standard in the full is a, a little bit more – I wouldn't say easy, but a little bit more obtainable, but there's also a lot more that can go wrong in a full yeah. where that, the half's a little more of an aggressive time, but you could probably take one or two chance, like two chances at it versus just one in the marathon. So, but I know time is running out. So yeah. Um, 62 minute half PR. What, what's the, remind us what the half qualifying time is to get into the it's, marathon trials. Uh, 104 flat. So you got to run 104 flat or better. Okay. okay. 104. Okay. Yeah. All right, let's take a quick break and thank a sponsor for this episode, and that is Koros. Koros is my favorite watch. I wear it all the time. It is my GPS watch of choice. My husband, Glenn, wears it. The battery life on Koros watches are incredible. It's super simple. The functionality is great, and it seamlessly connects with Strava and all the apps that you might want to connect to. You see so many pro and ultra runners wearing this watch as well. Sally McRae is a big fan. She's out there doing 100-mile races on that same watch with one battery life. Camille Heron wears this watch. Alice Wright wears this watch. She was just on the podcast last week, and I wear this watch. If you are in the market for a new GPS watch that is sleek, functional, and accurate, 
with an awesome battery life, go to coros.com and at checkout, use the code another and you'll get the opportunity to get yourself a second band. They have all kinds of fun, different colors. And so you can use the code another and get a second band of your choice at checkout. Again, that's coros.com. Use the code another. All right, friends, let's get back to my conversation with Ben Bruce. All right, so let's get into Chicago. You Can you share with everybody the rules and details of what went into you committing to being a pacer? I know you worked with the Chicago Marathon team to make sure this was all fair and, and right. So can you just share about that? Yeah, and I can kind of <clears throat> precursor it. So earlier this this year in um, this spring in Rotterdam, I actually paced Alethine from our team, Tillymook, and she ran 226. And that was a very different pace job because Rotterdam basically said, you can be her personal pacer. All we'll do is at the tech meeting say that whatever pace you want to run so people know if they want to join you. So that was very different. I basically paced Alephine around Rotterdam and we had other guys, but really no other women were happened to be around that time. Um, where with Chicago, since I wanted to be, you know, Steph wanted me to pace and I wanted to do that to try to help her. But to make it fair for any other women in the race, we set up a contract with Chicago that said, you know, basically was saying like, I'm going to run a pace regardless of if my wife can hang with the group or not, which is kind of harsh because it meant that if I went out there and, um, in early on Steph was like, Oh man, I, for some reason, 227 pace feels fine, but 226 is a little aggressive. She would have just had to run by herself. Um, and I think that you know, we wanted to set that up so that we could make sure all the other agents and athletes knew that, look, you know, Ben's going to run between two one twelve thirty and one thirteen flat through half marathon, and then he'll continue on at that pace, um, hopefully through thirty five k, and then at thirty five k, like my official duties were over. Um, so that's kind of how it gets set up. Um, obviously, there's other men in the race that can end up in our pack, but the women, you know, knew who I was, and and I talked to most of them at the at the technical meeting the day before to let them know um, kind of the plan. And um, yeah, it ended up being really a really nice group and um yeah it gets a little it's a little nerve-wracking being the pacer because you you really know how much is riding on it for the other athletes and so um seeing the first mile split right on was like kind of a relief uh, yeah me. yeah are you um are you lapping your watch when you pass every mile mark marker yeah and the tough thing with chicago is uh there's a lot of miles where you're in the mix of all those big buildings totally. so you can't trust the gps and i knew that going in and so you're just like so tough and and then you throw in hundreds of other people and then you're trying to run you're trying to be like dead to the world and try to just like focus on like what is this right effort and um Mm. yeah so the to do the the math for people listening is like 532 per mile is basically the faster end of what they wanted me to pace that's 112.30 for halfway at 225 pace and then 534s per mile is the pace for 226 pace, like 113 and a half. So I came to the mile mark and I was 534 and I was like, ooh, nailed it. And then, <laughs> so I was happy to see that. And yeah, just after that, we were, I don't think, um, I think all the way until 20 miles when the pack had kind of whittled down to just the Irish girl, Fanula, and my wife, it was, um, we had every single mile was between 528 and 538 was basically every single one. What does uh, 534 mile, mile one 
feel like to you? And what does a 534 mile 15 feel like to you? For me, the first few miles is like, it's just like a lot of trying to focus on like trying to just keep it very even and steady. And so like, there's a lot more mental energy going into it. Um, by mile 15 is for me, it's almost like the sweet spot because it, we've been running a long time, but I've almost just like totally locked it in. Mm-hmm. Um, and so at that point it's more about making sure we're keep, keeping the effort so even so that, cause I know also I'm a very aware that for the women in the group, their effort is a lot higher at that point. And so, and even some of the men that are in the group, they're, you know, they're running as fast as they can. They're, they're going out trying to run similar times. And so there can even be like, as people get tired, their sense of pace starts to go out the door. Um, and sometimes people overcompensate. So there was points where the guys in the group, I could tell were going a little bit faster and I had to just back off cause they would be going a little quicker and I would just tell the women like, we're fine. Um, yeah. Yeah. I always wonder that because I mean, that's, it's still fast, you know, I, I once paced a 140 half <laughs> and for me, like, I don't know what that is. It's like 738 pace or something. It's like, it's not running slow. So I feel like I have to like stay like very focused on my leg t- turnover to make sure I don't get sloppy or lazy because I'm doing this for the people that are trying to hit that goal. So it was yeah. like, you know, that's the only pacing I've ever done, but it was just like the slightest bit intimidating because it was just fast enough that I was like, am I going to be okay with this? Did you ever yeah. feel like that? Yeah. I mean, there's always like a little bit of hesitancy because yeah, I mean, it's, it's fast enough that like if something started bothering me for, for whatever reason early, it would be like, man, I just got to get them far enough. But there is a different set of nerves that come with pacing. And I've, um, for whatever reason, have had an ability to hit paces pretty well. Um, and I, the, like even earlier this year, I paced a men's 10 K on the track and it was like, we were just hitting 67 seconds, like every single lap. And, um, you, you definitely have a bit of nerves because like you, you don't want to mess up the pacing. If, if I was a little off, like let's say in Chicago, if I ran a 525 mile early, that's not going to hurt me as much as it's going to hurt the women. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and so, yeah, it, it is fast enough. And so I think for me, more of the nerves is trying to, is hitting the pace really close to perfect versus um, like how far I can go. Um, Cause I figure if, if I had a, if for some reason I had a really bad day and I only made it to 30 K that would still have been a, a pretty big help for them. But yeah. luckily it went, if it goes well, then it can go the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. Better, better to drop out at 30 K and have hit those splits than to run a drop a 525 at mile mile two um do you love it do you love pacing yeah especially in like these big city marathons like i did you know i did rotterdam and then chicago and a lot of times you run these big races and you're so tuned in and you're just running so hard at the top level that you don't even take anything in like you just you're running through these amazing cities and you're just so focused where um there is a lot of focus going into the pace but since I'm kind of just off the edge of running all out myself, I really take in more of the stuff going on, like the signs and, you know, just a lot of the support out there. Um, a good example of that is like, we ran past our boys mm-hmm. at uh, like two and a half miles and Steph saw them then. And I saw him and we waved and Steph said she had to like pull it together. Cause she was like, <laughs> about and then but then come mile like 13 i saw them as well but like at that point Steph was already 
kind of in that zone where things are not easy anymore. Mm-hmm. So like she didn't see him at that point. So that's the stuff that um, really kind of makes it sort of special to do. And, and I think it is kind of awesome when people you pace run, run well, obviously they had to do the running themselves, but I think there's a lot to like, especially in longer races, getting the pace even and, and an even effort more than anything um, early is what helps people be able to close it down later. So I think it's kind of a nice satisfaction to know that I've helped um, people race fast, run PRs. Yeah. Talk about the point in the race when Steph was going through some rough patches and you kind of knew I have to stay on my duties and just keep ticking away these miles and just kind of hope that she gets a surge and, and kind of feels better soon. Yeah. So there was five women with our group early, um, the fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh place finishers in the race. And then a German girl who ended up about 12th. Um, and by halfway, it was just three women, Emma Bates, Fanula from Ireland and Steph and, uh, Lindsay Flanagan, who'd finished seventh. Mm-hmm. Uh, she had right before halfway just checked off us a little bit. And then she still ran a really good second half and she ran 228 low, which was a minute plus PR for her. And, um, so around 25, 25K, so that's 15 and a half miles or so. Um, we had run just a couple miles, like just under 5.30. And Emma, I could tell Emma Bates was having a really good day. And I told her, I said, hey, if you're going to keep running these, you just need to go ahead. Mm-hmm. Um, but luckily, there was a good amount of men with us still. So when she went ahead, she still had company. There was a few guys that went with her. And then um, shortly after that, I could sense that Steph was kind of falling off the pace. And so... Um, I basically just went back and, and I just, cause I was throughout the race, just asking the women intermittently, like how they're doing. I didn't want to make sure we were running a pace just to run it if people weren't doing well. Um, so I just went back to her and I, I, and she just said, I can't like keep the low five thirties. I just have to back off a little bit. So I said, well, I got to go up and keep the pace going. So I went up and, and got back with Vanula and, um, and then right around 30 K <laughs> I, as soon as I got back, I was pacing Fanula up there and she um, was definitely going through a bad patch too. So as she went through a bad patch, Steph had kind of gotten through a better patch. So all of a sudden we were all back together again. So that worked out pretty well. And um, that was also a sense since I've done a lot of pacing, like I knew at that point they were both getting pretty tired. So it would have been stupid for me to just keep running 225 pace um, Mm -hmm. because they were tired and they were the only ones left in the groups are our 5k from 30 to 35k was 1740. And I know that I like splitting hairs because I was only like 20 seconds slower than the other 5ks, but that kind of can make a big difference. And, um, and so that got us at 35k. I took a, I think I look back at the split and our 35k split was exactly 226 flat pace. So I was like, Oh, there you go. 35k, um, like almost to the second on, on what we needed. Um, and from there that was, you know, it was interesting enough that my contract with the race was to go 35 K and right after that is when Fanula started kind of pulling away. And, um, I think Steph said it well in her, um, YouTube, her last YouTube video that she kind of felt like at that point, like my pacing duties were over. And at that point I could go back to being her husband. Mm. Uh, and that was just, it was just heartbreaking for me because not that she didn't run a great race, but it was just like it was in the marathon and she was so close to just the day that the amazing day that she wanted. You know, going to that race, it was like a top five finish running 225 or 226 would have been like what she would have walked away being like, 
that's that's everything I could have dreamed of. And um, to kind of watch that, like, physically running away from her, because Fonula ended up in fifth, running 226. Uh. And Steph ended up sixth in 227. Like I said, it's not by any means a bad day, but it was just like those last few miles and on the side of the course, just so much support. And, and you could just, it's almost like the journey of all of like the last decade of, of both of our career. And it was almost like payback because not payback in a bad way. Cause Steph was sitting there struggling and just trying to put one foot in front of the other. And, and I was just trying to wheel her along and I wanted to go behind her and, and push her from behind, but obviously illegal to do that. So I'm just sitting there like not much I can do, but I'm taking in all these people on the side of the road saying, go Bruce's. Mm. And that's my favorite couple. And, um, just all these cool things that really in a way shows how many people that we've been able to interact with and have an impact on in the sport. Um, that was like kind of like a, a bizarrely like special moment for me. Cause I'm sitting there thinking on one hand, it's like, this is a Steph's way that she makes money. She's a professional runner and she's having this huge day. But at the same time, like out on that marathon course, like seconds can mean like the differences of thousands of dollars in time bonuses with contracts and different things like that. But like at the same time, sort of like taking all of the positives in of like how awesome it is that I'm running down the streets of Chicago and there's hundreds and thousands of people cheering for us. And like, they know who we are and they get inspired by what we do. So at that point, it's like the money also doesn't matter that much because I think there's like a, something kind of beyond uh, what you're doing that the people are like really getting inspired from. So that was, it's kind of a mixed, yeah. <laughs> a mixed bag of emotions that lasts uh, five or 10 minutes of that race. Yeah. I saw you guys at mile. Well, I saw you guys several times, but I did see you in those moments because my husband and I were spectating and we were at mile like little pat like mile 25 and a half probably um and I could see I there was another I thought there my, Glenn my husband is claiming that it was just the two of you and you were like four steps ahead of her but I swear there was another person with you at that time was there maybe it was a yeah. dude though there was yeah there was another woman because at that point Fanula had pulled away from stuff and then Lindsay Flanagan was was catching us but yeah. she you know she ended up close but not really that close and okay. at that I mean I couldn't like I wasn't going to look back and be like, you know, I technically shouldn't tell her where people are anyways. That's not really in the, the nature of it. But um, yeah, th and that was the hard part. I could just tell it was like the wind was gusting and it was so windy got, right there. Yeah. And it was super weird because it would gust one way and then gust another way. It was just coming through the buildings. And it was like every time we got hit, it could just the waves that stuff was going through because I was kind of trying to keep the I knew we were slowing down but I'm just like hoping she can like stick with me but then every minute or so she'd have like just this really bad patch where I'd look all of a sudden I'd have five or six steps on her and then I'd kind of like slow back down mm -hmm. to try to just keep her encouraged and um yeah but there was and there's also at that point there's some guys that are going past us and there's some guys that are we're passing because they're having you know even a tougher last few miles so it kind of all is a, kind of a chaotic blur at that point yeah, I'm assuming it was just one of the guys that was, like you said, either pa yeah. you were passing or they were passing you. Yeah. How do you remain <clears throat> neutral, though? Because like you said, you could tell that Emma Bates was having a day. And I, as a spectator, I could tell girlfriend was having a day at mile two. Like, she just had this, like, confidence in her. So when you tell Emma at whatever mile it is, like, hey, if you 
are feeling this way and you need you like go like go do your thing how do you confidently say that to her while staying neutral knowing that deep down in your heart like obviously you would love it if your wife Steph is the first American yeah I just think that from all the things I've been around the sport like if I was pacing a group of women that I all of them you know I know some better than others but I have like a mutual respect for all of them and mm-hmm. I know Steph does so I yeah it could have been it could have been Steph at that it could have been a flip-flop, you know, it could have been Steph having that day and it could have been Emma having a tough one. Um, and so, yeah, I just, I guess I just told her to go ahead cause she was kind of running a little faster than what we were supposed to be running for a few miles. And, um, I also, I, I didn't want to hold her back, mm-hmm. but yeah, there is a part of like, yeah, I wish that Steph was feeling great and she was like, and, or, and all the girls in the pack were feeling so great that it was like, yeah, let's keep running 528s. This is great. Um, but yeah, it, it is what it is. I, I know that that's sport. I mean, you, you can't be uh, disappointed about someone else having a good day. Um, as long as, you know, you respect the person. There's, there's certain characters and people in the sport, though, you know, with, with doping and drugs and different things that when you find out that they aren't doing it right, then there's no respect there. But mm-hmm. when you, when you feel good about someone and you, you want them to do well as much as I'd want Steph to do just as well. Um, you can still be happy for other people. And that was kind of what I talked about earlier. It's, it's such an interesting thing cause I'm pacing this group and like these other two girls are going to go and take the spots away, mm-hmm. not take them away, but they're going to take spots that Steph would have loved to have, but it still is. Um, it's just how it goes. Some, some days it could have been, like I said, flip flopped in different positions. <clears throat> Tell us about the, <clears throat> hug after the finish line and what were the feelings on your end when you got to give her that big hug after you know she just poured her soul onto that course yeah I think it's it's just uh one of those situations where I was still very proud of her and I knew like in the moment like I knew that part of her was just like the slightest bit like heartbroken Mm -hmm. and so I didn't yeah, it was just, it was a lot of emotions going on. And, uh, just a hug was a simple, a simple gesture and a, a little kiss that on the cheek that was just to like go from all, we'd spend all this time out on there. And, and most of the time I was lucky enough to see her whole race as, as the you know pacer, but obviously she's still my wife. So there's more of a, an attachment and connection there. But, um, you know, the hug was followed by me. I think saying great job to Lindsay Flanagan because mm-hmm. I knew she had a great day and, and saying good job to Fanula and, and Emma. And um, so it was like in a way that the four of those women had shared a lot of miles together. And um, but I guess hugging your wife's much more appropriate than hugging someone you don't know as well. <laughs> <laughs> what do you love most about Steph? Oh, this wasn't on the questions. <laughs> um you know, it's interesting when you meet someone and you first are in a relationship first when you've been with them a long time, I think some of the stuff that you, you love and becomes almost more like an admir- like admiration. And, uh, I've just seen her, she's had to struggle with like a lot of stuff in her life much more than I have. And I've always felt very lucky myself. I mean, she's, she lost her father when she was in high school. And, um, there's a lot of ways people can respond to that when you're, 
17, 18 year old girl and you lose your father, like you can really lose your way. And mm. she just, when she fought through struggles, she always tried to find like the positive reaction to it. Not that losing your father, father is positive, but like when she lost her father, he had always felt that she could do better and, and she was, she could try harder. And so she was like, all right, if I want to run, running's a gift. And so, um, she did that and she, she had a lot of big breakthroughs after he passed away. And then later down the road, she had all these injuries and she couldn't figure it out and eventually found out like all these food allergies that she was unaware of. And she, there were so many points, I guess, that not just in running, but, um, you could quit and she just kept kind of pushing through and, and, you know, it was one thing like you could quit and no one would blame you. Like mm-hmm. her high school coach, I think 10 years after graduating, when she was dealing with all these problems, he said, you could just quit, you know, no one's making you do this. But so I guess it's the, it's a little bit of stubbornness that, that I like and that she'll always, um, kind of push myself to do things that maybe are uncomfortable for me. She seems always okay with change. And I know a lot of people are resistant to change and she keeps, you know, pushing through whatever is thrown at her life. And she comes up with these crazy ideas and, I'm sometimes like, ah, it's a little bit out there. Um, <laughs> but from all these crazy ideas that have come with <clears throat> starting picky bars with Lauren Fleshman. Yeah. And like when that started, you know, even Jesse Thomas, like Lauren's husband sitting there, like he has a, he's finishing up his um, master's in business. And he's like, you guys have like no business plan. And I'm thinking <laughs> the same thing. I'm like, yeah, what are these women thinking? And they're just like, whatever, we're going to make these bars. We're going to go to like the local running group and sell them for like a dollar each. And we're like, there's like 90 cents of ingredients in these, you know, like at the, you know, and all these things, but they just, you know, Lauren and Steph, I think they're both similar. They just, they just do it and they just, they'll figure it out later. And, um, so like all these crazy ideas and some of them don't work, but yeah, she just like, let's do it. And, um, it's very different than how I grew up of being like, just be conservative, just, just do things the way they're supposed to be done. And she's just like, let's go for it. Like I even still like, won't cuss like in like, a tweet or anything. Cause like my mom's like, you know, you shouldn't cuss. And then she's just <laughs> kind of throws it out there. And so it takes a little getting used to, but, um, I don't know if I've concisely answered the question, oh, but I, I love it. I guess she just really, um, she pushes on and she's, she's naive in a way and she can be corny. She loves Rocky movies, which I've always been like, dude, the guy's been hit like 6,000 times, not a real boxing match. And she just doesn't (laughs) care. She's like, this is great. It's the greatest thing ever. So, um, but I think with that, she just has such like a, like a childish heart and nature that, you know, she'll watch the same movie over and over again and she'll still get just as excited. And that's the quality that not a lot of people can have because, um, I think as you get older, you can get jaded and frustrated at things or like, oh, I've seen this. Why do I need to watch it again? But she still gets – she like legitimately puts on Rocky scenes the night before all of her races. And I'm like, you're going to watch it again? She's like, yep, going to watch it again. So, You know, had I prepared you for that question, it would have probably been – I mean the answer would have been the same in nature because it's apparent what you love about Steph. But see how much more fun that was that you weren't prepped? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's good. <laughs> um, no, I so relate to everything you were saying just on the level of the, I I am the dreamer in, in my relationship with my husband and he's kind of the more tamed down one and I have these ideas and he's like, 
sometimes I feel like he's telling me to stay in my lane, but sometimes he, I feel like he's like, okay, all right, let's get behind it. Let's do it. And I think that, you know, if you had two people that had a million crazy ideas, it, it could be somewhat yeah. of a disaster. <laughs> no, it does. It, it's like the whole, like the yin and the yang. Uh-huh. That, that it's, there is something to that because yeah, there's a lot of things we're very different on, but then we have a lot of passions that are the same. And even down to like, I'm the math nerd of the group and she's the speller. And so I have to sit there and when I put together an Instagram post, I'm like, can you read this please? Just to check for grammar and, spelling. <laughs> and like, but then like all these sputtering out math and things and she'll be like, she'll say time. And I'm like, Oh, that's the pace. Like I don't have to look up a pace calculator. So those things I think really do, they do go a long way in a relationship as long as you just have to respect the other person's, uh, I guess, Bennett like faults, um, and also their what they bring from like a positive. Yeah, I. Um, that's funny that you mentioned the grammar and the Instagram thing because I'm really bad at spelling and grammar, and I just kind of let it go. And I'm like, well, I'm not writing a book, and if people can't handle <laughs> bad grammar on my Instagram, they're gonna have to move on. But recently, um, I started a second podcast with a group of girls uh, called the Illuminate Podcast, and so we have a joint Instagram for that separate podcast. And I just told them, I was like, look, ladies grammar and spelling is not my strength. It's not going to make or break our Instagram ca- account. You're just going to have to let my grammar and spelling go unless you want to get in there and edit it yourself because it's just, I can't overthink that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's true. No, for sure. Okay, Ben, let's wrap up with some end of the podcast questions. Sound good? Sounds good. Um, what is one thing professionally or personally that you'd like to do that you haven't done yet? Well, first I'll say for all these questions, Steph, this is one thing she loves to tease me about is like any like favorite or pick one thing I'm like terrible at. It's like, I'm like, well, let me give you multiple examples. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I think uh, professionally um, from a running standpoint, the the streak that I have going at the US Champs is kind of something that I'm really proud of. And so if I could keep extending that, that would be um, something amazing uh, for me to do. And, uh, I guess also at some point putting together a respectable marathon would be something that would be nice on the running front. Um, personally, um, I guess what I haven't done yet is, um, I don't know. I don't know on, on the personal side, I think I'll figure those things as we go in life. (laughs) You don't have to have an answer for that. What is an accomplishment you're most proud of? Well, having kids is always a great accomplishment, and I know that's an easy, an easy answer. Um, I think one of my, I guess I always break things up in my mind. Like before kids, my probably proudest um, day on a running standpoint was when I ran my Sepal PR in Barcelona, Spain, because uh, the way the European track world works is you sometimes can't get into meets you think you could get into. So. I was staying in Font Rameau, which is about two and a half hours from Barcelona, and I got into the meet like the day of, like at lunchtime. And my agent called me and was like, if you can make it to Barcelona, like they'll let you race. And so I drove two and a half hours down the mountain to Barcelona and I ran my PR. And I think I just showed like you can't, you have like all these pre race things that you want to have set up and do everything the right way in the same way every time. But really, if, if you're in good shape and you go down and you don't overthink it, you can have great performances. And that, that showed me a lot that day to just be like, look, 
when you're ready to race, just go race. Um, and the other big accomplishment for me was after having kids, uh, when I ran my half marathon PR, because it, it also showed that like, I know it's easier as a dad to come back to racing after kids, but it's still <laughs> like to have kids around, but to run a really high level performance after kids was, was something that meant a lot, um, to me to show me that I could have a family and, and also still race well. Yeah. Dads are, dads have it different, but you're still in that sleep deprivation a little bit. At yeah. least, yeah. at least my yeah. husband is for sure. Oh yeah. No, it's still there. I mean, we, we try to split things pretty well and, um, there's certain things obviously when you have a newborn that I can't do, but, sure. but most of the stuff you can, the guy can do as well. Yeah. <laughs> Feed the baby, hand him over, roll back Diabetes. over, go back to yep. sleep. Yep. For sure. Um, yep. what is, who's someone, who is someone you motivating, fun, or inspiring that you'd like to sit down and have coffee, cocktail, tea, whatever with? See these once again. I then I try to think of these one persons. I can never come up with them. Mm-hmm, I could mm-hmm. take these. Oh, probably Steph. You know, she would be great. <laughs> <laughs> well, on an uninterrupted time with her is probably hard yeah, to come I know, by. I know sometimes if we go out, go out for just like you know, dinner together, you're like, wow, this is like a full conversation. We're like, it's oh, over. Yeah. We made, yeah. Um, I don't know. I always was a big lover of com- comedies, uh, movies, and I feel like someone like Will Ferrell would be a pretty interesting guy to uh, have a, have some fun with. Obviously, he's a, a character, um, but I think beyond him just being a comedian, he's also done a lot of stuff like from the writing standpoint and directing. So he's, uh, he's kind of done a lot in that industry. And I just feel like he'd be pretty, um, when you say fun, I'm sure he'd be a fun guy to hang out with. <laughs> yeah. Full package right there. You should listen to him on, uh, he was recently on Dax Shepard's podcast and I mean, it's Will Ferrell. So of course yeah, it's fun. Easily, yeah. No, I love it. He's hilarious. So yeah, it's a good one. All right. What's the best, most recent book you've read? Um, I like, would like to read more books, but time is a, a tough for me. I know that's an easy excuse, but, um, one book that I found, really just wild was unbroken um i i like to read books if i know there's a movie that's been made Mm -hmm. (laughs) and so um that book was just yeah the the depth in the book that you can't get from the movie of all the stuff that he went through was um yeah i I just was reading it sometimes and i couldn't believe that one person could have dealt with that many that many you know tough things in there in one lifetime. Um, so that was kind of a book to put in perspective if you're going through a tough time. (laughs) Absolutely insane. Yeah. Or if you're going through even like, how about a tough portion in your marathon and you think about Louis Zapparini or however you say his last name, like, whoa, just think about that and say, oh, I can survive this for another hour. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right, Ben, what's your one message you'd like to send to the world? I would say just keep like keep going. Um, there's always reasons to, you know, be upset or like something happens in your life and to make it into a, a negative. Um, but I think what you do with your life is how you react to what happens to you. And um, yeah, and it's so I learned this a lot from running that if you, you can always sit there and dwell on bad days, bad workouts, but, um, human nature is to, to worry about the the negative stuff. We see that with social media that, 
you could have a hundred comments on a post and if 95 of them are good, you tend to focus on like the five that were bad. And, um, so I think just keeping a positive mindset and, and just keep going. I love that. What a great way to end. Ben, this has been so fun talking to you. Thank you so much for doing this. For sure. I had a good time. Thank you. And um, I'll be talking to Steph tomorrow. So we'll put these out one week after the next. So hopefully people will find that fun to hear from the Bruce's week after week. Yeah, let's see what she says. (laughs) Yes. Oh, yeah. I'll ask her the same question. What do you love most about Ben? Don't tell her, though. Okay, I won't. Okay. All right. Have a great rest of your day. Okay. Thank you. Bye. All right, everybody, thanks so much for supporting the podcast by listening. I've really enjoyed this conversation with Ben. Thank you for coming on the show. You can find Ben on social media. He is B-B-J-A-M-I-N-15 on Instagram. And on Twitter, he's B-B-J-A-M-I-N. You can find me on Instagram. I'm LindsayHine626. You can find me on Twitter at LindsayHine. And you can find me on Facebook. I'll have another podcast with LindsayHine where we have a group as well. If you're going to be in Indy next weekend for the Beyond Monumental Marathon, I am doing a meetup at the Ship on Friday from 3 to 5. That is a local tasting room here in Indianapolis. The address is 2505 North Delaware Street. Pop over, say hello. That's from 3 to 5 p.m. November 8th on Friday, the day before the Monument Beyond Monumental Marathon. And then I have got my live show with Dina Castor and Sally McRae that Saturday at 5.30 p.m. The doors open. You can still grab tickets. We've got about 15 tickets left. That information will be in the show notes at lindsayhine.com on this episode, this podcast episode's show notes. You can also Google Dina Castor, Sally McRae, Eventbrite tickets, and you will find them. All right. Best of luck to anybody running the TCS New York City Marathon this weekend and best of luck in your taper for the Beyond Monumental or any other races you might be doing. Thanks for tuning in. Have a great Friday. Have a wonderful rest of your weekend. And as always, I will see you next Friday.